Well, I saw the perfect family in my newsfeed a couple weeks ago. It was, of course, the royals. I mean, this guy is going to be the king, and they just had a baby. They're leaving the hospital literally hours after having that kid. My wife and I never looked like that after our kids were born. They're perfectly dressed. That baby is perfectly dressed. There's no diaper blowout showing there. There's no baby barf anywhere. They are all set to go. For, for me and our family pictures, I often felt a little bit more like this. Hey, honey, smile so we look like the perfect parents while we drag our kid across the beach behind us. Or, or maybe this better describes your experience. It only took three meltdowns, two fights, and a little bit of bribery and a couple hundred photos to make us look like the perfect family. When we see pictures on Facebook and Instagram and social media like the Royals, we can often suffer from FOMO, fear of missing out. In this case, fear of missing out on the perfect family. I mean, we know the Royals never showed up at church with their kids wearing different shoes or none at all like I have, we know that the royals have never had to say, like I found myself saying when my four kids were little, keep your fingers out of the barf. The royals never got the call that I got once when I left church and got back home. The call was, hey, um, your kid is still here at church. Would you like to come back and get them? They never got that call. Social media promotes the myth of the perfect family, and we suffer FOMO even though we know there's no perfect family. I know my family isn't perfect, but I also know my family matters. And your family matters too, way, way more than the royals. Today we're starting our Family Matters series because we're coming into that season of family celebrations. It's uh, year-end school programs, graduations, weddings, vacations, family reunions, and we know family matters. Uh, 75% of Americans say family is the most important thing in life. Michael J. Fox says family's not an important thing, it's everything. Mother Teresa once said, if you want to promote world peace, go home and love your family. And that makes such deep soul sense to us. And we know that family matters. Family matters in the Bible, too. There's language in the Bible using family to describe our relationship with God himself. God is pictured as our father. We're adopted into his family. Jesus is our brother We're to talk to each other as brothers and sisters. We're welcomed into the household of the king as his sons and daughters. In the Bible, family matters. And because we know that, we often struggle at a soul level with the fact that our families are imperfect. I'm not just talking about that quirky Uncle Bob who tells inappropriate jokes at Thanksgiving. I'm talking about hard imperfections. Addictions, abuse, poor health, harsh words, bad choices, wrecked marriages. Just this week and just two days ago, I heard from one friend whose family is just now struggling with an admitted addiction in their family system. I heard from another friend that same day about a a really catastrophic health diagnosis as well. You see, for some, family matters because Fear of missing out isn't actually fear. It's actually missing out on a mother's love, 
on a father's care, on a sense of family togetherness. For some of you, uh, you, you're dreading this coming season of family life. Your family matters. It matters because for you it's a source of challenge. Fortunately for us, family matters so much to God. What he shows us in the Bible is that he works through imperfect families. In the Bible, we see families with illnesses and addictions and economic hardships. We see bad parenting. We see bad kids. In fact, we can see all of that in the Bible. In the first half of the Bible in the Old Testament, we can see generations of imperfect families. This morning, we're going to be talking about the family of Abraham, who in the New Testament is called the father of all who have faith, a demonstration of the power of God's grace and faithfulness. And we can see that in the book of Genesis. We can see Abraham, who is said to by God, you're going to be blessed so that you can be a blessing. We're going to see his son Isaac in Genesis, if we look through it, who's the child of promise, who's the inheritor of blessing. Then if you read through Genesis, you see Jacob, a sign of the promise being renewed, who is renamed Israel. And his sons go on to become the 12 tribes of Israel, God's chosen nation that he leads to the promised land. But we can see, if we look through Genesis, the peril of families as well. The challenges of how sin is passed from generation to generation, and uh, the effects of sin move down through a family system. So, for example, in this same family of Abraham, you can see Abraham lying about his wife not just once but twice and basically trafficking her out. Then we see Isaac, his son, doing the same thing with his wife, Rebekah. Then you can see Isaac's son, Jacob, who lied to his father, And then you can see his sons, who not only lie to him, but also each other. We could trace out the uh, brokenness in their marriage. We can trace out the brokenness in their parenting. We can trace out the peril of the reality that there's a generational impact of sin. That's a pattern that we see in the Bible, and we see it in our own lives, that sin can impact multiple generations. That's why in the Ten Commandments, as God is talking about his law and governance and rule, he talks about visiting the iniquity, the results, the impact of the sin of the fathers onto the children over generations. But then, important for us to note, God also says in that very sentence that his steadfast love will be shown to thousands upon thousands, to generation and generation, showing God's great power and grace even over the consequences of sin as it's passed along. The peril of families could often be described as the bondage that exists in families where the the impact of this sin is passed along. And, And we know that, if we're honest, we can admit, even in our own imperfect families, that that there's an impact through the generations of sinful behavior and activities. Often this is an unseen reality for us. Unseen, perhaps like the taproot of a sapling that goes all the way down into the bedrock to hold the tree up. We can see that in hidden secrets in our families. Maybe you were told, don't talk about your aunt's pill problem or don't mention to anyone else your brother's drinking problem. We can see that in buried wounds. 
you weren't ever good enough for your dad, and that just sits there inside of you. Or your, your mom ignored you, or your cousin abused you. We can see that in unwritten rules, the voice in your head that says, only the weak get sick, or you can't say no, or money's the only true security, or don't trust anyone but yourself. So the question for us this morning is, how do we deal with the peril of families and our destructive patterns? How do we move past bondage towards healing? So we're going to look at the very end of the book of Genesis to see when this pattern was broken. And if you're a note taker this morning, here's the main idea for the date. That is, we're going to go back to go forward. You need to go back to go forward. This phrase comes from the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And if you know that book and those books that go with it, you'll see much of what I'm saying here today woven in there. Today I'm going to unpack this phrase in two parts, and I'm going to give us four principles to apply for our lives. So the text today is right at the end of Genesis. It's the end of the drama of Abraham's family. Joseph was favored above his brothers. He got kind of arrogant. His brothers had had enough. They decided to throw him in a pit and then sell him to human traffickers, and he was taken to Egypt. Meanwhile, they lied to his father and said he was dead. In Egypt, he was actually betrayed and thrown in prison But then God did a great work and raised him up to be second in command of the whole land. And a famine arose, and Joseph's family, his brothers and his father, ended up coming to Egypt because they needed food, and Joseph was in charge of all of the food, and so there was a God-ordained reunion. And they lived together, and then the father dies. And at that point, we come to this Uh, part of the text of Genesis right at the very end. I'm going to read from the screens here for us this morning. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. They kind of lied. They sort of just made this up. So this is uh, what you are to say to Joseph supposedly they're lying to him what the father said i ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they've committed in treating you so badly now please forgive the sins of the servants of the god of your father when their message came to him joseph wept then the brothers came they threw themselves down before him and they said we are your slaves but joseph said don't be afraid Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish now what is being done, the saving of many lives. And don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. We need to go back in order to go forward. Part one here of going back is going back to hurt. Go back to hurt. That is, think about, consider the family hurt that's back there for you. Go back there and think about it, like returning to the scene of a crime or returning to the scene of an accident. When I was in high school, I was a new driver. One winter day, I backed out of the driveway and started driving down the street. As I went around the corner, I lost control of the car and drove right into a parked car. 
That is a terrible feeling, especially when you're a new driver and it's your very first accident. I didn't know what to do, but I was close enough to home that I could actually see my front door. And I knew my dad was home, so I went back home and told him what happened. And my dad looked at me and he said, you gotta go back to that wreck. I'm gonna call the authorities and, and they'll meet you there. Here's my point. Sometimes, like my dad, the Heavenly Father sends us back to the scene of the accident or the pain so that with his authority, we can deal with the wreck or the wreckage in our family. Go back to hurt. That's what happened with Joseph and his brothers. And there's two principles from him that we can look at and apply to our lives. First, uh, we need to look in. Look in. That is, face your shadow. That is, know that there's a wreck there. When the message came to Joseph, he had to face the impact of his family relationships with each other. His brothers had good cause to think he might had a grudge. They had done terrible things to him. And you know, during that time of family reunion, he wasn't completely honest with them either. There was estrangement all the way around, and even though they were together, there was still a root of potential problems. Joseph was confronted with that, with not only his deception, but the destructive family pattern that he was in. And I wonder today if you've looked back to face the shadows in your own soul. I wonder if you've experienced Jesus' redemption so fully, so fully that the cross uh, will illuminate dark places for you, that you've allowed Jesus' grace to take root in your soul and weed out sinful patterns. When my four children were young, at the end of one day, I realized that I had had individual conversations with each of them and with my wife, five conversations. And at the end of that day, I realized that each one of those conversations had ended with the other person in tears. And during the day, I thought, boy, all of these people have problems and issues. And at the end of the day, I realized that the common denominator in all those conversations was actually me. And at that moment, I was forced to look in and realize that there was a wreck not out there, but in here, in my soul, there was a wreck. I was forced to face my shadow and look in. Go back to hurt. Look in. Face your shadow. And when you do that, when you do that, then the next step that comes to us from Joseph is to look back, to look back, to identify your family's influence. I believe that in this moment of tears, we see Joseph looking back at his family, looking back at years and generations of estrangement, separation, deception, and brokenness. And then after his dad died and another lie came to him from his brothers, I believe that Joseph looked back and he saw it all and he wept. Now, the right question to ask is, can I look back without someone dying? And the answer is yes, you can do that actually by asking yourself these kinds of questions. Where are your hidden secrets? Where are your buried wounds? Where are your unwritten rules? What are they? You know, those are great questions to ask. They're also great questions for church families to ask. Often churches have unwritten rules. Uh, you may have felt like this once in church. We want to thank you for joining our church. Here's a complimentary copy of our unspoken rules. Uh, please have all of these read by next Sunday. 
Now, that's not part of our membership process here at Grace, but you know, there are unspoken rules, and you know what they are out here or even in your community group when you start thinking, okay, don't show vulnerability. Stay on the surface. Be sure to look intelligent, or if you can't do that, at least look spiritual, or if you can't look, do that, just try to keep it all together. Where do those thoughts come from? They're not part of our membership process or our community group leader training. They're not part of our teaching platform here at Grace. Most of the time, for most of us, those unwritten rules are rooted in our family of origin. So for me, somehow, as I was growing up, I absorbed this rule that I'm only valuable if I produce, if I get an A, if I'm kind of perfect. Now, perfectionism is not a positive characteristic. It destroys relationships because it drives towards outcomes and has no tolerance for vulnerability, weakness, and mistakes. You can imagine why there were tears on my kids' and my wife's face. Because you can imagine the perfectionistic expectations that I had that came with me for education, career, marriage, and parenting, and you can imagine the perfectionistic challenge that came with being around me, even when, and especially sometimes when, I was working on spiritual things like sermons or church projects. And now you can imagine how all of that goes back to that unwritten rule that took deep root in the bedrock of my soul. And if you can imagine all of that, then you can imagine my own tears, as I looked in and looked back and went back to that hurt, that wreck in my soul. When Joseph went back to his hurt, to the wreck of his past family influence on him, Joseph wept. Bible teacher Beth Moore has a good word for us in that moment. She says, accept your story, reject your past's hold on your future, but do yourself a favor, accept your past. Take it to the hill. Stand with it laid bare in the shadow of the cross. Believe God. Receive grace. That brings us to part two of go back to go forward. Part two is go forward to heal. Go forward to heal. I'm not talking about just sitting in the past, but taking steps towards the future. One time I was up north on a trip. I was in a cabin uh, with a friend there was a skunk that lived underneath the cabin. One night as we were sleeping, the skunk decided to let go in a way that only skunks can do. And it got pretty smelly in the cabin. It woke me up in the middle of the night. I knew I had to get out of there. I grabbed my friend's shoulder. I shook him hard. I said, you got to get out of here. It smells terrible in here. He says, no, it's, it's not really that bad. He had a really bad cold. His sinuses were clogged up. He couldn't smell a thing. He didn't want to get up. The next morning, I came back to the cabin and found him, and I'm like, dude, you are pungent. And he's like, yeah, I didn't know it was so bad. I just stayed there all night. My point is this. After looking in and looking back, you might find that things smell pretty bad with your family, but don't stay there. Go forward to heal. Here's two principles for how you do that. The first one is this. Look up. 
Look up and lean on God's providence. I love Joseph's humility here where he says, I'm not standing here in the place of God in verse 19. And then in verse 20, he says, God is God. God intended what happened for good. God is still on the throne. Joseph is talking here about God's providence. Providence is that word that theologians use to describe this characteristic of God. God, having called the world into being, continually sustains, renews, and orders it. Now, there's a short way to say that. God's providence means God provides a way. God provides a way. Nothing from our past can prevent his work in our future. One of my favorite quotes about this comes from Olympic gold medalist Eric Liddell. He uh, uh, noted for his gold medal run and, and in the movie Chariots of Fire, became a missionary, died in a, in a World War II internment camp uh, in China. Uh, he, he said this, uh, he said, circumstances may appear to wreck our lives and God's plan, but God is not helpless among the ruins. Our broken lives are not lost or useless God's love is still working. He comes in and takes the calamity and uses it victoriously, working out his wonderful plan of love. Perhaps Eric was reflecting on this great promise for us from the book of Romans. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. From Joseph From Romans, we see God's promises are for us. Look up and lean on God's providence. When we look up, our hidden secrets are brought into the holy light of the living truth. When we look up, our buried wounds are healed by Jesus' public pain on the cross. When we look up, our unwritten rules can be rewritten by the very promises of God. When I looked up, I realized that God's perfection is enough and I could actually let him deal not just with imperfections out there, but with the imperfections in my soul. Joseph looked up and said, you intended harm, but God intended good. So go forward to heal. Look up. Look up and then look out. Look out, learn new words, learn new ways of relating to other people. We can see that as Joseph extended God's grace through kind words. You notice in the text today that he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. This was the end of lies. This is the end of deception. This is the end of estrangement. After looking in and back and up, Joseph looks out with grace. Going forward means changing how we relate to people. We can look out with new words and new patterns of relationships, but it takes some practice. I I love this chart from the book, Emotionally Healthy Church. It's a chart showing the difference between a proud and defensive way of looking out on the world and a broken and vulnerable way of looking out on the world. Proud and defensive is I'm guarded and protective about my imperfections and flaws. Broken and vulnerable is I'm transparent and weak, so I disclose appropriately to others. Proud and defensive is, I give my opinion a lot, even when I'm not asked. Welcome to Ann Arbor. (laughs) Broken and vulnerable is, I am slow to speak, 
and quick to listen. Proud and defensive is I keep people from really seeing what's going on inside of me. Broken and vulnerable is I delight in showing vulnerability so Christ's power might be seen. Joseph looked out and spoke kind words and gave reassurance. Joseph went back to hurt so that he could go forward to healing. And it may be this morning what you really need to hear are kind and assuring words from your heavenly father. Maybe you know that there's a wreck and you're just looking for the front door to see if dad is home. Maybe you feel like you're just in a place where your family kind of stinks. Maybe you have an unwritten rule that nothing can really change. God's word for you and for us today is that he has provided a way, a way for us, a way for our family, a way for our children and their children, a way towards freedom and healing and joy. That way is pictured for us today in communion. I love it that Joseph in Genesis is a picture for us of Jesus. Joseph was sold out and betrayed and put into a place of death, but he was raised up to an exalted place of ruling governance. Joseph was betrayed, but he forgave. Joseph was rejected, but he welcomed his family to the king's table. Joseph offered food and sustenance to his family. Jesus offers us God's great provision, food for our soul. I'll invite the worship team to come forward as we prepare for this time of celebrating what God has accomplished for us. This table shows us God's provision, his way, Jesus Christ himself, God's kind word in the flesh, God's assurance that when we go back to the cross, we can go forward to joy. God's table is an invitation to go back in order to go forward. God's table is a time for us to say, I'm going back to the cross so that I can go forward with you, Jesus, enjoy. We have four stations for communion this morning, two at the back and two at the front. The two at the front here are gluten-free, and we have people available to pray uh, with you and for you. Maybe God's been stirring something up, some matter with your family that you just need to get, get a little bit of prayer for. Those folks are right there at the back and available for you. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this whenever you eat of it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. And when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again to bring us home to the Father's house where we're treated like royalty because we're the children of the King. Let me pray. God, this morning, so many of us need healing. We need grace. We need forgiveness. We need your power to be at work transforming our souls. We ask for that. We ask for that in this moment as we celebrate what you've done for us. We ask for that as we leave, 
and we consider the rest of our day in the light of your truth. Be with us now in these holy moments, God. In Jesus' name, amen.